My name is Sophie. I suffered from fibromyalgia and extreme fatigue syndrome for about 24 years. Today I'm fully healthy. And now I would like to pass on everything I've learned about health and healing and more to support those who are still on a journey. And this is why I create this documentary series and podcast, The Puzzle of Healing. Hi everyone, in today's episode we're going to talk about acupuncture and with me is Vanessa Menendez-Covello and she's a licentiate acupuncturist at Covello Acupuncture. We're going to talk a little bit about her own journey into the profession, about the different styles of acupuncture and the different backgrounds, the different approaches you can have to get into the profession, who it is good for, what it can treat and we talk a little bit about like what do we know scientifically or what don't we know and the attempts of studying acupuncture itself. By the end of the episode, she's going to show how to apply a needle into her own hand. So if you listen to this as a podcast version, feel free to jump over to YouTube to have a look. Other than that, enjoy the episode. Good morning, Vanessa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, good morning. <laughs> My absolute pleasure to be here chatting with you. <laughs> Amazing. Would you like to introduce yourself and to say a bit about your background and what you're doing? Absolutely. My name is Vanessa Menendez Covello. I um, was born and grew up in Spain, but I've been living in the UK for 20 years now. I originally trained as a computer scientist. I used to do um, research in speech recognition systems. Um, and then I went and worked in finance. So I did technology for big investment banks. Mm. But in 2016, I quit doing that and I decided <laughs> to retrain as an acupuncturist. Um, and in October last year, I opened my acupuncture clinic, which then I had to close down temporarily because of COVID. Oh, yeah. But I'm open again and practicing mm. and just really enjoying it. That's amazing. How comes this? It's a great shift from finance to acupuncture. What happened? Yes, it's a big shift. I was thinking about that this morning. So I was never a super healthy child. Um, when I was five, I had meningitis, the bacterial kind, and I almost died. But I think technically I actually died for a little bit. Oh. Um, then I was always sick. I was a sickly child. Um, when I went through Menarche, my periods were terrible. When I was 17, I was run over by a horse and I again almost oh, died. <laughs> so I've never been a super healthy person, even though... I'm actually in a way quite resilient because I went through all this terrible stuff, but I'm still here and I have mm. my limbs and everything. So I started, so I think the shift started in 2004 when I started doing yoga. I started oh. doing yoga and it really, it became a thing for me. Um, so I actually moved to London in order to learn yoga for a very specific from a very specific teacher oh wow <laughs> what an and honor that you move for one teacher does, does your teacher know. know that <laughs> he does but a lot of people actually move even countries to study oh, with wow. him so yes and do you want to give away what that teacher who that teacher is <laughs> oh yes his name is Hamish Hendry he teaches um, Ashtanga Yoga in um, Ashtanga Yoga London near Houston station he's been teaching yoga I don't know for probably 25 years wow. I've been studying with him daily for 15 years now daily oh wow that's a commitment yes well six times a week so in Ashtanga yoga you usually take Saturdays off and then ladies um, also take the first two or three days of their period off 
uh, depending on how much they bleed and it's it's an energetic thing and then also you take the full moon and the new moon off because it's thought that on those two days the um, energy is really strong so it would be really easy to hurt yourself interesting yes. and i like it actually that i think i think it's a thing women should be able to do anyway if you have your period because that you have just like these at least two three days on of everything you're doing that you could just pause and take care of yourself i think that would be very nice if you would have that generally in our society at the beginning i was absolutely outraged by, the, by it because i've always been a feminist so i was like <laughs> well no i can't do anything the men can do but the reality is i was actually dragging myself through because I used to get periods where I would throw up or I would, I would faint. I've been on the floor with pain. Um, and that was part of the reason why I got into acupuncture. I had a hamstring injury. So I found a local acupuncturist and I got better immediately. But she also said, you know, I can help you with your period pain. And I was like, can you? Um, and she did. So for me, from the beginning, I experienced such immense well-being from acupuncture that then I decided that I was going to go regularly. So for 10 years, I used to go every three weeks, I think we decided was like my my ideal frequency. Mm -hmm. And I would just turn up and be like, I've got period pain or I've got a digestive problem or I'm stressed or I'm upset. And whichever we found on that day, she would treat. Um, and obviously you can't be doing something so regularly for so long without getting really interested in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I started reading books and asking questions. Uh, and then when I decided I couldn't do my job at the investment bank anymore, um, my husband said, you've been fascinated by acupuncture for so long. Uh, why don't you actually think about retraining? Mm -hmm. uh, and as it happened, you know how sometimes the universe aligns. As it happened, two weeks after that, my college, the City College of Acupuncture, were having an open day. So we both went there, my husband and I. <laughs> Amazing. Because my husband's super analytical, super logical. So I was like, okay, I need someone to see it without emotion. Because for me, I was in turmoil about quitting my previous job, scared about changing my life. But I knew that he would be able to have a very objective perspective. And he said, I, I loved it. I think you'll really enjoy doing this. And I did. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so how long is the training to become an acupuncturist? So this is a big can of worms because um, in the UK, acupuncture is not regulated. So what that means is that anyone, literally anyone can put a needle on someone else. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know how to say this without starting to get conflictive, but for example, there's this thing called medical acupuncture, also called dry needling. It's usually done by osteopaths and physiotherapists, and there are shorter courses that they take. And mostly they just go into the belly of the muscle to treat pain. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be an acupuncturist in the sense of traditional Chinese medicine, then the training is longer. It's usually about three or four years. Um, as I said, it's not regulated in the UK, but there are some bodies that have self-regulated. So, for example, I belong to the British Acupuncture Council, who require a minimum of a three-year, either a degree or a degree equivalent. So it's called a licentiate. 
and there are very strict hygiene standards and very strict standards in terms of you have to learn Western medical science, you have to learn about anatomy, mm. physiology, uh, pathology. So I decided to, you know, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it really. <laughs> That's so <thoroughly>. real, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So you have a, and you said that you also then know things about the Chinese medicine, if I understand you correctly. So. Yes, yeah. so my training is based on traditional Chinese medicine, um, which has been developed over thousands of years in China. What's really interesting is um, in China, they, they didn't used to do um, autopsies. They wouldn't open corpses up. So in a way, they had to, it's almost like um, in technical, in, in technology terms, you call that a black box in the sense that you know the input and you know the output, but you don't really know what's going inside. Mm -hmm. So it's really fascinating that they actually figured out the major organs of the world, of the, of the body. They said, you know, there's the kidneys, there's the lungs, there's the spleen, um, there's the liver, but they assigned them different functions. So they didn't go into the kind of um, mechanical workings of them. Um, they went into a functional map of how the body works and they assigned functions in terms that in Western medicine don't make a lot of sense. So sometimes you think really like the lungs um, are related to grief. They, they make a big connection between emotions and the health of the body. Mm. Um, and then you have different branches of um, acupuncture or, or, or Asian medicine. So you have traditional Chinese medicine, you have Japanese acupuncture, there's Korean acupuncture, there's five element, which was developed here in the UK, actually, by the Worsley School. But yes, my training is traditional Chinese medicine. And, and what is the difference between all these different strands of acupuncture? That's a really good question. So um, let me think about that. Um, so Japanese acupuncture, for example, um, their system of needling is very, very different. So in Chinese acupuncture, you have uh, depths of insertion of the needles. So you've got the needles there and they've got a length. So for example, this one is 0.25, that's a quarter of a millimeter in thickness and it's 30 millimeters long. And depending on the uh, person, their body, and what you are trying to achieve, you will use different lengths of needles. But in Japanese acupuncture, for example, they barely pierce the skin. They don't think that you have to really go quite deep in. Um, in Korean acupuncture, my understanding, I'm not very knowledgeable about it, they're big in hand acupuncture. So they have a massive map of points in the hand that they use to influence the rest of the body. Um, the five elements um, system is based on nature. So they talk about five elements, which are, let me think, <laughs> they're um, water, wood, fire, metal, earth and metal. So mm. they, it's almost about the change of the season. So for example, the water nourishes the wood that then grows. The wood then burns into fire. When the fire creates ashes that goes into the ground and nourishes the earth, the earth then condensates into metal. And in the end, the metal kind of starts the cycle again by turning into water. 
Oh, that's interesting. And it's so they really use that system on the body then? Or how yes, so different organs have this different association to an element. Mm -hmm. And also um, they talk about even about personalities. So for example, the one I'm the most familiar with because I'm, I'm a, a wood person. So wood is about growth, it's about strength and pushing. So mm -hmm. I am that person that will start a new project and kind of like really push it through is um it's growth but at the same time if it gets out of balance then the growth can be a little bit explosive so you can be prone to anger so oh, okay. yeah <laughs> so um while for example the i like the water people because they are deep like the water they achieve but they achieve in a way you know how water in the end water can even break down um stone just mm -hmm. over many years of passing through. So the water people are like that. They don't, they don't, they're not super expansive, but they quietly and constantly that. do the way. And they're really deep thinkers, like the depths of an ocean. So it's a really poetic um, mm -hmm. system. I quite like it. I, I incorporate a little bit of it, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert. Okay. And just for everyone who is maybe not too familiar with acupuncture, how would you define what acupuncture is? and how it works so <laughs> so acupuncture is the insertion of um, very thin needles into very specific points of the body they're called acupuncture points and they are organized on meridians which are lines that go through the body and each meridian is associated with an organ so it's got an internal branch that goes through the organ mm. now how it works there's no conclusive answer to that. So Western medical science has been desperately trying to figure out how is it mm -hmm. that it works. Um, the interesting thing is that it's difficult to do research on that because um, the majority of, of Chinese acupuncture comes from China. And in China, they are not really, um, I wouldn't say that, that terribly interesting in, interested in the actual mechanics because for them, it works. Mm -hmm. It works. They've been doing it for years. They know it works. They yeah. incorporate with Western medical science, but they're not terribly bothered about the how yeah. it actually works. So we have a couple of theories. Um, the I think one of the most popular ones, which is quite old, is about the um, gates of pain. So what they posit, what they think is that, for example, if you've got pain, that's a, that's a nervous system either from the brain to the to the limbs, for example, or the other way around. Mm -hmm. So at some point, for example, if you, if you burn your hand, there's a signal that goes into your spinal cord and from there into the brain and says, you know, I'm burst and then yeah. I'm, I'm burned. And then the brain goes and says, oh, pain. Mm -hmm. And that is to actually make you withdraw your hand from the flame, for example. Mm -hmm. So one of the theories is that acupuncture interferes with those mechanisms so that when they are misfiring, so for example, if you've got chronic pain and there's no known reason for that pain, mm -hmm. they think acupuncture can actually interfere with those signals and calm the nervous system so that your pain is decreased. But that doesn't cover everything that acupuncture does because it's really good also at regulating hormones, at helping with chronic illnesses. So there's another theory that I find quite interesting, which is about um, embryo development and cell organization. So for example, when you have an embryo, um, it starts as one cell that divides into two, four, becomes a blastocyst, and from there, 
what happens is how do you go from the point which have eight cells that are exactly the same to actually a fetus that has a heart and lungs and an organized system. So the idea is that the chi, uh, the chi that moves through the body is more than just, let's say, electricity. It's the intelligence that allows the body to organize itself. So this theory thinks that um, the kind of like mother cells that became the origin of the bigger structures in the body, so for example, the spinal cords, mm -hmm. um, they, they, they in a way have a memory. So for example, you have the bladder line in the back of the, in the, in the back of the body, two lines on the torso, the back of the torso, and then become one down the legs. And the theory is that that is kind of like the remainder of those mother cells. So by doing that, you can influence the system that they became. I'm not sure I'm explaining this very okay. well. <laughs> no, I can follow. I have just the question. What is chi? You said the chi in the body, but what is it? Yes. So chi is, chi is life. So the description of chi, and I think my lectures will kill me if I don't get this one right, <laughs> the Chinese character for chi, if I remember correctly, uh, you have a rice of, of bowl and steaming, you know, so there's heat that cooks the rice and then there's steam. So they think the cheese that steam is that kind of essence is the energy of the body, is the intelligence mm -hmm. of the body. So the chi moves through the meridians, through the channels, goes through the organs and allows the body to, or, or, or encourages the body to do, to function correctly. So... In Chinese medicine, we think that there's disease when the chi is not flowing correctly, it's not really doing what it should. Okay, that makes sense. And when you say, I have two questions. So what you say about chronic pain is super interested because like I had uh, fibromyalgia and yes. it's known that acupuncture can make it better if you have fibromyalgia. Um, but it doesn't really cure it, does it? You have to keep going regularly or how long does it last when you, when you treated something? Pain related. Yes, so um, when we have chronic disease, and I think it's really a very important distinction that we need to make here. So acupuncture can help enormously with side effects or the, the symptoms of chronic diseases, but I would never go and say, you know, acupuncture is going to cure fibromyalgia or acupuncture is going to cure cancer or anything like that, because um, acupuncture was developed as a preventative medicine. So in ancient China, the most coveted medical post was to be the acupuncturist or the Chinese medical doctor to the emperor. Mm -hmm. And then um, your job was to keep the emperor healthy. So if the emperor got sick, that was your problem. You had failed at your job. Oh, yeah. So I like that. It's, it's so reversed to Western medicine. Here, doctors do something once you're ill. I think I like that, that you look at Absolutely. it from a more preventative angle. Absolutely. And acupuncture can help once you are sick. But really, for me, the strength is in actually keeping you well and preventing sickness. Um, so for fibromyalgia, it can definitely help with the pain and it can help um, increase the, the time in between episodes. So, for example, what we try to do with patients that present with, you know, a lot of pain is initially you start with very frequent sessions because you want to get that person past that initial kind of like, you know, uh, 
constant pain response. And then ideally what you try is to start spacing the sessions so that I have patients that are feeling much better and they're coming once a month. Mm -hmm. or once every three weeks, or maybe once every three months if they're feeling fine. But um, another good example is, for example, with um, migraines. So the patient will come in the middle of a migraine and you can definitely get them relief. But why did they get that migraine? So you don't want to just put a plaster over the symptoms. You want to try and understand where those symptoms come from. It's called the Ben and the Biao. The etiology of the disease and the presentation of the disease. Mm -hmm. So quite often when someone's coming in pain, you really want to tackle that first because you cannot say, well, the first session is not really going to do a lot because I'm really going to get to the root of the session yeah. and that's going to be long term. <laughs> so you try to really address the, the, the initial discomfort, but over time you are working to try to find um, the root of the system. And interestingly for fibrom fibromyalgia, um, it's classified as B syndrome, which is painful obstruction. And then you have to really make, a, 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 you have to find the difference between what kind of B syndrome, which I have to read my notes <laughs> because uh, there's several of them. There's wind, cold, damp, or hot, depending on how they manifest. So did that come out of dampness? Did you get a cold invasion? Is it hot? And then you treat it differently. So what's fascinating about Chinese medicine is that you don't treat the disease, you treat the person and the presentation of the disease because the same illness could manifest very differently or could have a root that's very, very different in different people um, and their constitutions. And you try to address that. Yeah. Well, that is fascinating. So you say acupuncture is kind of for everyone. Is there, is there a disease or a condition where you say, like, if you have that, you should not do acupuncture? Is there someone where you say it could be damaging or counterproductive? Not really. I can't think so. So there are contraindications that obviously we get taught about. Um, so, for example, the most typical one is um, during pregnancy. There are some acupuncture points that you are not supposed to you obviously you don't needle into the abdomen yeah <laughs> you know you start needling superior so there there's a line there's a line that goes through the um anterior midline of the body mm -hmm. uh, and obviously on early pregnancy you stop needling the lower abdomen and as the pregnancy mm -hmm. progresses you stop needling the, um further up that line but also there are points like gallbladder 21 which is the highest point of the trapezius muscle, mm -hmm. you don't needle that during acupuncture because what it does, what that point does is descends the chi. Mm -hmm. So you can actually needle that when a woman's in labor and you're trying to help her push through oh, because wow. labor is considered as, you know, the ultimate kind of descent of chi and the mm -hmm. ultimate kind of like, you know, you are trying to get something out. So all the chi really needs yeah. to go down, <laughs> but you don't do it during pregnancy. Um, it's difficult because these these contraindications come from all texts, but there's not been proper medical studies because obviously mm -hmm. there's massive ethical reasons. You can't really do a study where you needle pregnant women in yeah. points that... See if it goes wrong. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, controversy around whether those points actually would do something. There are people that really think that it's impossible to actually provoke um, a miscarriage. Um, in pregnancy, but we tend to be on the cautious side, like 
if you really think there could be an issue, why would you do it when yeah. there's so many acupuncture points in the body that you can use? <laughs> exactly. So what are the most typical issues people come to you with? It's really quite varied. So I do a lot of um, fertility work. I do a lot of natural fertility. So that tends to be women that have, for example, polycystic ovarian sy syndrome is a very common one because what, what happens with... So it's, um, it's a syndrome. So you have cysts in your ovaries. So that's just mm. um, cystic ovaries. But the syndrome comes with a lot of other symptoms like ins insulin resistance. Um, you get to have extra hair. You have extra weight. But um, the main issue for these women is that they have cysts in their ovaries that then prevent the follicle from releasing an egg. So what happens is the way it manifests is you have really long cycles. So um, a normal cycle usually lasts between 28 and 31 days. But women with polycystic ovaries quite often will go for 40, 50, 60 days. Sometimes in most extreme cases, they get a period once every three months. Wow. Sounds a little bit like a dream, but it probably isn't <laughs> that nice, right? It's it not. It's not. not it really comes with a lot of other problems. Yeah. And also, if you're trying to get pregnant, the problem is you just have no idea when you're going to ovulate. Uh, yeah, because on sure. a regular cycle, you know that you're going to ovulate usually around day 14. And then you can have intercourse a few days before and, and during mm -hmm. ovulation to make sure that that's going to happen. But if you're not sure when you're going to ovulate, it would be really quite emotionally taxing to be thinking about, yeah. you know, being constantly trying to get pregnant. So acupuncture works really well at regulating the cycles. Um, I do a lot of work around IVF because one of the protocols um, called the Paulus protocol has actually been um, trialed and tested by Western science because it's such a controlled environment that they could actually de do the study and it was proved by to increase the the life birth rate massively i'm talking about something like 30 something percent oh wow yes so a lot of fertility uh and then all sorts of um i've treated a lot of anxiety anxiety recently because of covid um i have a patient with ankylosing spondylitis which is um, a chronic disease um, where your joints start fusing over time and it brings a lot of pain in oh, the joints. Yeah. I have a patient with Parkinson's. Um, yeah. So it's basically Usually, really good complementative to other other treatments these conditions need. And it's just like really, yeah, sounds like yes. a, good, a good side treatment basically to, to ease things on the actual journey, if I understand that right. Yes, so a lot of the time, uh, patient comes, patients come when they've been told that they're going to be having to take a certain real strong medication for the rest of their lives, mm -hmm. and they don't want to. So, for example, I know one acupuncturist that got fascinated with acupuncture because she had very severe glaucoma, um, increasing the pressure of in the eye, and she was told that she was going, she was, sixteen or something like that. And she was told that she was going to be on steroids for the rest of her life. Oh, wow. And with acupuncture and Chinese herbs, she's managed to not have to do that. That is impressive. Yes. Wow. Yes. So, for example, my patient with ankylosing spondylitis and the treatment's brutal. Like the treatment that she's been given is um, a biological treatment and it's really quite strong. So 
she came and said, is there something else that we can do? And um, we are combining herbs. I'm not a trained herbalist, so I've referred her to one of my lectures, who's a fantastic um, Japanese herbs practitioner. And with the combination of the herbs and the acupuncture, she's definitely feeling much better. Um, she's in less pain and she also has more energy and she feels more optimistic about everything. Oh, and that itself can have healing, healing qualities, like the, the energy and like the mind and the attitude, which is really, really difficult to maintain if you're ill, to be positive and to have energy. That sounds really amazing. Absolutely. And I think because there's this whole thing about the placebo effect. Is it placebo? Is it not? How much of it is placebo? But for example, um, when I used to go to acupuncture, I used to work crazy hours. So I used to get up really early to go to yoga. From yoga, I would go to the office and then work 10, 12 hours, go back home, oh, rinse wow. and repeat, work weekends, work late into the night. So for me, that was the one hour where I used, I used to fall asleep and it was great. <laughs> you know, you go there, someone's looking after you, the needles don't hurt and you take like a fantastic nap. And it's, you know, that's part of the healing process as well. Yeah. But even if it is placebo, does it matter in the end, as long as it helps? And there are some really fascinating studies about placebo. I heard one, uh, I was watching a lucid dreaming summit from Charlie Morley. And um, I wish I could remember the person who talked about the placebo effect, but they figured out that I need to look this up and put it in the description. Um, so they tried it, I think, with the med with Parkinson medication and they realized, so first you have to give the full medication and then every day you give more of the placebo. And by the end of it, you can have almost 100% or even 100% of the placebo medication, if I remember correctly, and the body still has the same reaction. So um, that is fascinating because it still means less medication in a person's body. So I think to say something Absolutely. is just placebo needs a definitely deeper explanation of how placebo works because it is brilliant. Yes, and also part of the difficulty with proving that acupuncture works is that you need a randomized double-blind trial where some of the participants are receiving the treatment and some of them are receiving a placebo. Now, how do you do placebo acupuncture? Like either you put needles in or you, or you don't. don't. So they've, yeah. been, they've been trying to figure out and they came up with, um, so one of the supposed placebo effects was um, doing acupuncture but using non-acupuncture points. But the problem is that it's not as simple as that because you are still moving the chi in the body. Yeah. And actually there are, you know, network of smaller channels um, through the body. So in the end, you are still doing some sort of acupuncture. Um, then they also tried having like um, fake needles. They look like guide tubes and they have like, it's almost like in films, you know, when you see someone stabbing and it's not a real knife, yeah. it's a knife that recedes. So they tried doing something like that. But then again, you are still pressing on an acupuncture point. Mm -hmm. So you're still doing something. So I think right now what they're trying to do is they're saying, well, instead of getting through this whole placebo thing, because Western medication also has a placebo effect, why don't we compare the effects of acupuncture versus um, normal treatment. So for example, for back pain, you can have um, six weeks of acupuncture or you can have painkillers and they compare the results of those two things. And I think that's much interesting. more interesting than actually going on about whether acupuncture works or not. Yeah. <laughs> when you say the needles are, you, are not painful, I had the opposite experience. I did have acupuncture 
And most of them were not painful, but one was really, really burning to the point that the acupuncturist had to take it out. Do you know mm. why that can happen? Why can it sometimes be there an exception that one needle can really hurt? Is that a known thing? Or Yes, yeah, so what idea? kind of pain was it? I had a, a stomach infection. So, no, sorry, the, when the needle, when the needle oh, when was the needle, hurting you. Um, it was really burning. It was a burning sensation. Burning. Mm. That's interesting because, so when you move the chi, you can have a strong feeling. Quite often what patients feel is, for example, this is a really strong point. Um, when I get this one needle, it's almost like a dull, kind of like throbbing and mm. usually subsides. Um, sometimes you feel a sensation somewhere else um, in the body. And I think because I do a lot of yoga, I'm quite accustomed to, to feeling my body quite subtly. So sometimes I'll get a needle somewhere in my leg and I can feel it behind my eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so sometimes you kind of feel almost like, like a line um, mm. of energy burning. It could just be that. Um, so I wonder... Um, do you can you remember what that point was? It was in my foot somewhere. I think it was in my heel, like in the Achilla tenor, somewhere there. Oh yes, could all it could probably be um kidney three, good old kidney three in between the medial malleolus. Um so sometimes it's because that, that channel has been very strongly um stimulated. Um that point quite often people then feel it on um on the sole of their feet and that's because that's where the kidney channel starts mm -hmm. sometimes what happens is you get a little bit close to the achilles tendon ah okay <laughs> <laughs> but i don't want i don't want to say that that's what happens yeah, yeah, of because course. We you know, know i wasn't there yeah. i don't know <laughs> i know that sometimes i do that uh, my husband for example has got really strong achilles tendons mm -hmm. so i have to be quite careful because sometimes he's like ow <laughs> because i get too close to it yeah. What I found interesting, like I went a couple of times because of the stomach infection. After the second or third time, my body started reacting before the needle was in. Like my mm. stomach started making lots of noises and started to really, it felt like really relaxing before the needle even touched yeah. my skin. I found that really interesting and it did quite help, it did help quite a bit um, when I had the stomach infection. Yeah, so you can get really esoteric about it. And when we talk about chi, then because everything that's life has chi mm -hmm. then you have to think about the interplay of chi between the patient and the practitioner so you know i'm touching a needle obviously i'm touching the handle not the shaft mm -hmm. <laughs> we want yeah. to be really hygienic about it <laughs> but I'm, I'm touching the handle of a metallic needle that's inserted in your body um, so there's a transference of chi going on there um, so it could be that you know just by the practitioner getting close to the point, the chi was already traveling. Yeah. Um, the stomach noises, that's fascinating. I, I love that because <laughs> we talk about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So the sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight system. So you are a caveman and you hear a noise and it could be a tiger coming for you. Mm -hmm. So what happens then? What happens then is that your whole body shuts down except the mechanisms that are going to allow you to fight or flight. Oh, yeah. So your digestion is not going to be happening at that moment. <laughs> your reproductive system is really not going to be working because you need all the blood in your muscles. You need to just run away or fight. Yeah. The parasympathetic nervous system is rest and recuperate. So that's when you are actually resting. So you're in your cave, there's no tigers and you've got food and you've got a fire and warmth. What do you do then? 
you digest, you sleep, you rebuild your body. So for me, when I start putting needles in and I hear the patient's belly rumbling, I take it as a fantastic symptom because to me that tells me the parasympathetic system has started being activated Mm -hmm. and they're going to heal. I had that, I had that when I was a teenager and I found it quite embarrassing when I had my first boyfriend. Whenever we were cuddling, my belly, belly started rambling and I always yeah. found it very embarrassing. But I also, yeah, it always happened when I finally relaxed. So, well, there, there you go. So that's, that's the endorphins and the oxytocin of love yeah. make your system relax <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Do you, so how do you work when a patient comes? Like, is there a certain points you always do or is it really completely person-specific what areas of the body you're treating? Yes, so initially when a patient comes for the first time, I need to take a really detailed history because I want to understand um, if they had some really major illnesses in the past that might have affected some organs in the Chinese medicine sense and that could contribute to the problem they're experiencing um, today. Then you also want to know about the medication that they are taking. And because for example, um, if they are on severe blood thinning drugs, then obviously you are piercing them. Sometimes they can bleed a little bit and you have to be really aware of that. Or if they've got diabetes, it could be that they don't feel their feet anymore. So you want to be really careful about what you are doing there. Um, And then I come up with a diagnosis and the diagnosis, they have names that in Western medical science sound totally crazy. (laughs) Things like, um, I don't know, like liver cheese stagnation or um, one that, for example, sounds really scary. So I never actually say it out loud is heart blood deficiency. Because Mm -hmm. if you say that to a patient, they're going to think, oh my God, there's something severely wrong with my heart, but not necessarily. It's got a different meaning in Chinese medicine. So you have your diagnosis and then you make a treatment plan. And then again, the treatment plan, the wording goes with um, with the diagnosis. So for example, the Chinese liver is in charge of making sure that the qi moves fluidly through the body. Mm-hmm. So if the liver qi is stagnated, what you do is you course the liver qi, you make sure that it flows. And then according to your treatment principles, then you choose the points. Um, there are a few really powerful points that you tend to use quite a lot. Um, kidney three, liver three, um, you know, points in the back. Uh, but you always, so it's very rare that I do exactly the same points um, in two consecutive treatments because there's always been a change, ideally. Yeah. So you start tweaking it depending on how the patient responded and what you see at the time. That is interesting. <laughs> and I know you have your needles there. Maybe it's now a good time for you to show how that looks when you treat it. <laughs> I do because um, so I did videos um, for my Instagram and my website showing the clinic, for example. And I find mm. that people really like that because people feel really scared. They don't know. They're like, oh, my God, someone's going to stab me. <laughs> and a lot of people have really bad memories of giving blood or being in hospital. I used to be really needle phobic. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting to, to show the needles. So obviously, they come packaged um, in sterilized gas. So this is, um, you know, really hygienic because you don't want to 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 um, to put any pathogen in their body. Yeah, of course. So this one has a guide tube and 10 needles. Um, you get needles that come um, individually packaged in their own guide tubes, but 
the guide tube is plastic and it's plastic that at the moment is not recyclable. Mm -hmm. So I tend to use these ones and I'm looking, there's a company now making bamboo guide tubes. Oh, that's um, good. So I'm looking into that. <laughs> so when a patient's there, obviously I'm going to wash my hands really thoroughly, even more in these days. And then I'm going to open the package if I can, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and you open it like that so that you are not touching anything. And then the first thing that you get is the guide tube out. So this is the guide tube, which is going to literally guide where the needle goes. And then you get the needle through the handle. So I'm really careful not to touch the shaft of the needle because then I could be passing something to someone on. So it's a bit trickier when you have them separately, but there's a bit of a technique. I let it drop. And now I'm still only touching the handle mm -hmm. and the needle is on the guide tube. Then what you do is you find your point and I'm going to do a fairly painful one. So I might wince a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you press with the guide tube and then you just up. <laughs> <laughs> and once it's in, it's pain free. No, you have to insert it and then you wait until you feel it's called the dirty. It's a sensation that both the patient feels like, oh, something's happening. Mm -hmm. And the practitioner feels as well, I can feel when I'm kind of hit it. And, you know, then depending on what the practitioner style is and what they want to do, they might turn them a little bit or not, leave it there. Um, when you want to take it out, you have a sharps box. It comes out and it goes into the sharps box that then gets collected by a medically approved company. So that again, it's, this is, um, they call it biological waste. It could have blood, it could have fluids. So you don't just throw it in the bin because, yeah. you know, it could hurt someone. It's uh, incredible that you handle needles and it is not regulated. I'm a little bit shocked about that because it sounds like there's so much procedure going into to be careful, to be hygienic. Um, it's, it's how, probably it's a too big question, but do you know why it is not in the slightest regulated or is there some form of regulation to the hygienic standards at least? Um, so yeah, that's, that's a difficult question that could get really, um, quite political. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so because I'm such a fresh acupuncturist, I don't really know very well the history. I know that. At some point, the British Acupuncture Council and other, other organizations, I think there was um, British Acupuncture Federation. I can't remember their names, and it's not because I think they're lesser, it's just that's because I have not been associated with them. They were really pushing for being um, statutory regulated yeah. um, by the government. Um, I think part of the problem is um, there's a very strong element sometimes of apprenticeship in acupuncture where rather than going to like a college and, and receiving a very structured um, education, what you do is you apprentice with someone else. So I think the people, the acupuncturists that went through that kind of like line of training were quite reluctant about, because the moment you regulate something, the moment it really control how you do mm, it. And yeah. there's a lot of like, I have the code of safe practice from the BXC, which is really thick and it controls everything, the whole procedure of how, you know, we do this. And yeah. um, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if I would want to go to an acupuncturist, it sounds like that would be a good starting point to look for somebody with that with that certificate or with that regulation if I want to be sure or like just go with people I know I can trust who are safe, I guess. Or yes. where would you recommend people start looking for someone that they know they are safe with somebody? I would look at the level of education. So I don't want to say just go to uh, British Acupuncture Council people because there are other um, types of training that are also very, very good. But you need to look at the length and the depth of the training. So um, if I wanted an acupuncturist rather than, um, because for example, I've gone to an osteopath, I go to a really, really good osteopath that does dry needling, um, gets deep into the joint. So he really helped me with a, a very serious shoulder problem because I can't treat myself, obviously in the shoulder, yeah. it's quite difficult. <laughs> Uh, so they want to say, I don't want to say that what he was doing is wrong. It's just a different kind of training. Mm -hmm. um, but his training was on top of four years of osteopathy school, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So look at the at the length and the depth of their training and, and you know look at the kind of like hygiene standards that they adhere to. And that should be a really good, a really good hint. Yeah, that is a really good tip. All right, then, before we wrap up, is there anything I haven't asked you, something you think that's really important to mention, something you want to say? Um, so I think the thing, the, the, the bit that makes me a little bit sad about acupuncture is that, um, well, a lot of people just dismiss it from the get-go because they think it's a hippy-dippy thing. Mm. Um, they, they don't really believe in it, and I guess that's okay. Um, but I think a lot of people only come to see us when they are really very, very ill. Yeah. And I really wish people saw it more as a tune-up, health-maintaining um, system where they keep themselves in optimal health. And then what happens is if you are in really good health, if something um, you know, like, a, like a virus comes through, you are going to be in a better position mm -hmm. um, than if you are, you know, if, if you are not... And it's difficult to say because I don't want to say um, if you are sick because no one's to blame for being sick. Sickness yeah. happens and it's not really our fault. And I should know, I've, I've got plenty of sick. But <laughs> I think for me, that's how I, at the moment, anytime I feel a little bit off kilter, I immediately go and receive acupuncture or herbs, depending on what mm -hmm. I think, I believe. And during those 10 years of working in a really, really intense environment, that's what kept me afloat my yeah. regular acupuncture sessions so I wish more people did it like that and there are a lot of acupuncturists now that are very aware of the cost so they are doing um, affordable acupuncture they are doing um, group acupuncture where you mm -hmm. have maybe in a room three or four different tables um, so you are not just there alone with the acupuncturist but that that allows for the treatment to be very cost effective so there yeah. are many clinics charging 25 pounds oh, which wow. is really yeah it's very reasonable really yeah, so absolutely yeah i think i think my wish is that more people knew about how amazing it is <laughs> and how how well they could feel with yeah. regular treatment well let's hope that with this episode we do a little bit for that <laughs> yes i hope so too yeah and obviously we're going to put all your details in the description so hopefully people who watch this can also get in touch if they happen to be in london absolutely anyone that go. wants to come to crouch end in, in north london i'm happy to see them <laughs> fantastic then thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day thank you you too